Welcome to Artistic Beginnings. I'm Mitch. And I'm Melody. We're siblings who grew up working in the entertainment industry and were deeply impacted by the arts. I'm a professional actor, singer, and dancer working in Los Angeles and New York, still pursuing an artistic career. I, on the other hand, am no longer pursuing that career. I went on to become a researcher, though I'm still involved in the creative industry. Artistic Beginnings is all about the winding artistic paths that creatives follow in their lives. We share these inspirational stories with you so that you can learn and grow as a creative. So, let's get into it. Okay, sure. So when you brought it up, I thought of two. And I have one favorite warm up that's to do with a group, like if you're with a cast or something backstage. And another one that's kind of like a vocal warm up that I'll do by myself or with a group. Uh, so my favorite group warm up is a game called Big Booty. Have you ever heard of it? I mm. love Big Booty. <laughs> oh my God. I learned yeah. that at Second City. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I learned it in college, I think probably like sophomore more year acting class oh or something. it's so good it's so fun <laughs> it's so fun and it's such a good yeah. way to build energy and it's like silly and I think so much of our job is like be serious take yourself seriously now cry and it's like hey it's not that deep like let's just have some fun but yeah so it's a game where it's gonna be weird to try to describe without a visual but everybody stands in a circle and one person is the booty and the way I play everyone counts off around the circle so you have like one to ten or however many people are in the circle so everybody's standing in the circle one person is the booty the person to the right of the booty is the corn dog and they're kind of mm -hmm. like the last in line right and so yeah. everyone has their number <laughs> they know what their number is and there's a little song with it and you also clap along so you go something like this like oh big booty big booty big booty big booty oh yeah and then the booty will start and throw it to somebody across the circle so it'll be like booty to the one one to the four four to the five and people will toss it around to their numbers and they have to keep it on the whole beat like the clapping beat that we're doing mm -hmm. that goes along with the song and if you mess up then you become the new corn dog and everybody gets to go oh and it's like oh so, so being corndog is bad it's it yes but like no it's okay. still stupid and fun <laughs> um but yeah so then the corndog comes and stands to the right of the booty and then everyone's number changes so it's easier mm -hmm. to mess up the more your number changes and it's just like a really fun way to practice listening and like staying loose and rhythm and i think it's really great for comedy for those reasons and also anything that you're just like doing with a group of people because it's a really good way to like you know bring yourselves together but still have fun and I feel like in comedy rhythm is so important so especially yes. in like multicam or if you're even in like Shakespeare like the rhythm is a part of it and picking up the ball when somebody drops it is so much of acting so um I think it can like it's a it's seems silly but then when you think about how it really applies it like totally does and I teach it to my classes and they love it so mm -hmm. it's it's always fun my other favorite warm-up is just a vocal warm-up, and it's kind of one of those tongue twisters. Sitting in solemn silence on a dull, dark dock in a pestilential prison with a lifelong lock, awaiting the sensation of a short, sharp shock from a cheap and chippy chopper on a big black block. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, again, we just want to give a little 
precursor that this episode was recorded pre-quarantine times. So in case you hear us talking about going outside or traveling to places that you shouldn't be traveling to right now. Um, <laughs> anyway. Also, there's some swearing. Oh, there is some swearing. Yes. <laughs> Hide your kids' ears. Be aware of that. Uh, this week, we have Leanne O'Shea on our show. Leanne is great. Yes. I've known her for quite some time, actually, now, which is pretty cool. We talked about a whole lot with Leanne. Lots about the movie that she produced and wrote and is starring in, which is really cool. And she did that abroad. She did that in Malaysia and Cambodia area. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. We won't ruin the full story for you because it's a good one. <laughs> Leanne talks a lot about kind of her travels and her opportunities that came up. And it's really interesting to hear all of the great stuff that she kind of created her own work. And uh, hearing how that came about is really, really inspiring. Oh, yeah, 100%. She's the queen of creating her own work, which I think is so valid, especially right now in the quarantine times. All you can do is create your own work at the moment. Even if it's not even work, just doing something creative to get your mind off of things or just, you know, to let the creative juices flow. Gross. So here's our conversation with Leanne. Hope you enjoy. (laughs) Well, my name is Leanne O'Shea. I'm an actor and I write and I also produce a little bit. I grew up in Boston. I was born over on the East Coast. Go Red Sox. And (laughs) when I was growing up, I was a dancer. Like my mom and dad got me into dance right when I was like two or three, like super, super young. And I was very hardcore in the dance world for a long time. And I remember when I was growing up being interested in theater and being interested in acting, but like never really having the time to pursue it because I was always dancing. It's like Mm. if I wasn't at school, I was dancing. I still love to dance, but I think around the time when I was like a junior in high school, my high school offered drama class. Mm. You could take drama as an English class one year. I was an overachiever, so I took both regular English and drama. That was the first place where I really got to dive into acting and really found it being like, this is what I want to do. Like, I love being on stage and I love telling stories and I love performing, but I really love having a voice and that was something that kind of changed for me around that time I was like looking at going to schools for dance I thought I was going to be a dancer and that kind of changed everything and I switched gears into the theater acting world and then I had a weird thing where I also thought I was going to be a doctor so I was pursuing pre-med at the same time I was pursuing acting and Where I wound up going to school, I was able to start with both because I went to a huge state school. I went to the University of Massachusetts and my major was theater, but my concentration was pre-med when I started. And then as time went on, I really just found that I think I had this thing where what I wanted to do with my life was help people, right? And I think when you're a kid or when you're young or even just like the simple answer, well, how do you help people? You become a doctor. Like that's the simple answer. And I'm not saying that being a doctor is simple at all. Of course, I have friends that are (laughs) doctors and I like, I admire what doctors do. And it's amazing when someone can heal a person with their hands. But I do think that there 
is also something to be said for healing a person with a story or a film or a piece of art, because I found in my life, there's so many times where I've felt a way or been in a place and then seen something that just changed my outlook, whether it be a movie or a play or even like a short skit on SNL or something mm. as small as that. And so I was like, you know what? It's okay. I don't have to be a doctor to help people. I can actually do what I feel like I'm better at. I really just decided to dive right into acting. And I know my parents at the beginning were a little hesitant. I remember my dad being well, like, don't you want a backup? What if you majored in business? And I was like, no, I don't want a backup. This is what I'm going to do. And so I really focused on that. And it was also interesting coming from my dad too, because my dad is a singer and was a singer, was in a band in the seventies, like was really in the music thing. So there were some intersections there of like, you know, being in the performing world, being in the creative world where it's like, he could understand it, even though music and acting can be very different at times. But I think at times they can also be similar. So I started doing that. And I remember that was one thing my parents kept being like, mm, maybe a backup, mm, maybe a second major. And then it was funny. I did a play, I think, when I was a sophomore, right around the time I learned Big Booty. And my parents came out to see it. It was The American Dream by Edward Albee, which is a great absurdist comedy. And I was the lead in it, which was actually an 86-year-old grandma. So I was like 19. And it was like one of those things that I was like so invested in the project. Like I didn't even realize how big my part was until people came to see it and they were like mm. you were that was your show and I was like right. what no that's crazy and yeah after that they were like yeah go for it and I feel very very lucky to have parents that were supportive in that way because I, I have other friends that don't have the same experience mm. and so anyway college, graduated, moved back home after college. I worked in Boston for a little while in theater and the theater scene there. I worked for a ghost tour for a while, actually. Ooh, <laughs> yes, very spooky where I like played a ghost <laughs> character and took people around the old graveyards of Boston, which was definitely one of the funnest jobs I've ever had. It was mm. nuts. And then with pretty early on when I was living in Boston, I also booked the job that I decided I was going to use to save up to move to LA, which I did a show for kids at schools about believing in yourself and doing your best. Big part of the show was doing yo-yo tricks and magic. So that show taught me how to do yo-yo tricks and magic, which was really cool. Do you maintain those skills? Yes. <laughs> It's very I weird. totally forgot to tell you about this, Mitch. But yeah, she is like a crazy yo-yoer. It's insane. Okay. It's so cool. You've, you've got to teach me your ways. I, oh, yeah. I want to learn how to yo-yo like a master. Oh, happy to teach you. Yeah, it is one of those things where it's actually very hard if I wasn't paid to learn how to do it for this show. I don't think I ever would have <laughs> gone Fair. through with it. But anyway, yeah, so I did this show. It was amazing. I got to meet a bunch of other actors from all over the country that were also doing the same show we were sent on tour all over the world that was really cool this show took me to england 
in Australia and Canada and all over the United States, like Fargo and then mm. Key Largo and Miami and all over the place. I've been so many random places thanks to that job, which was really cool in the way of like learning about myself and being on the road and being alone for a good chunk of it and then being with other actors for a good chunk of it. But also as a performer, because like there's no audience like kids, like if mm, if yep. you honestly, if you're fucking up, they're going to call you out. If you don't grab them in the first five seconds, you're done. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then on the flip side, if they're enjoying something, they will enjoy something with their entire body. And it is oh, just yeah. like sometimes it's like infectious. It just makes you feel like it's like the most rewarding audience ever. Yeah. yeah the magic of being a kid, the magic of like not caring what anyone thinks and not caring what is going to happen tonight or next week or what happened last week, but just being in the, the present moment. And yeah, so that was a really fun gig. And it took me a lot of places and I'm super thankful for it. Then I moved to LA. I drove cross country with one of my best friends. We had a blast of a trip. It was dope. I actually just saw her last weekend for her bachelorette party. So that was so fun. So anyway, I've been in LA now for about it's coming up on eight years. And the reason I moved to LA was because I worked in theater and did a lot of Shakespeare and smaller theater things and bigger theater things in Boston. And I had always loved movies. And I said, you know what, if I want to make movies, there's obviously only one place you go, Hollywood, yeah. right? You know, and yeah, I feel yes. like, I mean, obviously, like now right. that I'm in the in the biz, I know there are other places you can go and still work. But it's like the dreams, the like get off the bus and the oh, kid, we're going to put you in pictures, you know, like that, all that right. kind of stuff. Thinking about all those different pieces that kind of have culminated and built you into who you are kind of today, are there kind of key things that you've learned throughout the years that have positioned you well to being unique and, and accomplishing what you, you're doing now? I think a big part of what I've learned in being in L.A. and also the way the industry is now is taking those key things like those things that you can do and those things that you personally are good at and building your career around those things. I got into screenwriting probably, oh gosh, maybe five or six years ago now, which feels crazy to say because I still feel so new at it. But it was a thing where I was in acting class at John Rosenfeld Studios where we met. It's a really great community. They were putting on a student film festival and a girl in my class was like, I want to make a film for the film festival. I'm a Lyft driver. I want to make a movie about that and I need people to help me and I was just sitting across the class from her and I also happened to be a Lyft driver at the time which it was like still relatively new in LA so like a mm -hmm. lot of people were like they hadn't heard about it or were just starting to hear about it just starting to use it but anyway so yeah I raised my hand and I barely knew her and I was like I'm a Lyft driver too I'll help and like neither of us we've never made our own thing before but like here we go let's do it it was also around the time where I met my now boyfriend, which I feel like he's so much more than that. He's like my partner and my creative partner and we live together and like I mean he's amazing but he's a screenwriter his name's Aviv Rubenstein be a but yeah so Aviv is a screenwriter went to school for screenwriting went to film school and so 
he at the time was a friend who knew the side of the business that I didn't know and was so helpful in that process of writing a script and learning formatting and learning like the way a story needs to be to be interesting and to to have a full arc and all of that kind of stuff. And so it was just kind of like, the people you meet along the way. I feel like a lot of the movies I've done or projects I've worked on have kind of been in that way. Like that was what happened with the movie I just did last year in Malaysia. It was just a random thing that it was just all of these pieces coming together, people I knew or something I had been invited to do or something I had done in the past, finding all of those things wind up connecting, which I think mm. is really strange and beautiful but also at the same time it's kind of soothing after living through it a few times now where you know I think any creative job career pursuit you have lows and you have highs and I think people really are vocal about their highs those are the things you see on Instagram those are the things you tell your family about at Christmas and when you're in those lows you're just like grasping at straws like what's gonna happen how can I get into my next thing and it's like you can work and it is important to build a, a habit of putting your uh, your creative mind to work but I think there is also a timing of things that marries that it's so much about I think your career happens when your preparedness meets an opportunity and I I feel like that is so true you know you go to acting class you go to writing class you you learn editing you learn whatever it is and you just keep yourself prepared and then hopefully in the grace of the world like it, something will cross your path and you'll be able to take your pursuit to that next level this is like a sports one but it's like oh we stay ready so we don't have to get ready you know something like that but yeah I feel like that's a very long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite quotes is, the harder you work, the luckier you get, you know? Yeah. And I think that yeah. especially in this business, you know, I would say it's like at least 90% of it is just timing. And, right. you know, just making sure that you are ready when the opportunity comes so that it doesn't pass you is, you know, yeah. that's 90% of the battle right there. We're so lucky we live in a age where... There are so many places that we can create things and post the things that we create. Like there's so many outlets. Oh my gosh. And yeah. so many, you know, we have cameras and microphones on our phones. We literally can create a movie with something in our pocket now, which I think is really cool. Yeah. So talking about the kind of creating your own work, how did you get into creating your own work and what were some of the steps that you took to kind of get more confident in that space? Yeah, so uh, the first thing I created on my own was that short film I just mentioned about the Lyft drivers. And I think what started it was having, you know, other people say like, oh, let's let's create our own stuff. Let's mm -hmm. let's make it happen. And then also for John Rosenfeld Studios, the acting studio is at having a space for those things. Yeah. Um, I think at the time I wasn't even aware that that was kind of an option that was open to me. But then when I found it, I was like, I feel like this is my thing. Like, I really enjoy writing. I really enjoy reading. And I'm, I just love stories so much, which I think is probably why I wound up here. 
it was just kind of starting there and then finding that like, hey, this is something I'm into. And then also, I think I'm a person that has like no problem being like, I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. And I think that that kind of serves me in that way where when it came to screenwriting, and I know I'm still learning, like there's so many skills we have in our lives that we're learning forever. At the very beginning, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I know things I've read and I know what they look like, but I need help in this this place. And then also, you know, finding people that were willing to help in those spaces. Like I mentioned Aviv before, he was like, oh, you want to learn how to screenwrite? Like, I can help you. I'll read your script. I'll give you notes. I will help you learn the way formatting goes. And so that was awesome. And I think also so much of it is finding the people in your community because I think filmmaking is such a team-driven sport that when you find other people that work in film that want to be creating things, everyone can kind of help each other learn about the things that they don't know, which I think is really cool. And I think a lot of how I've really learned about film because I went to school for theater and also, of course, like just being in the industry and like getting on a set whenever I can, being happy to PA, like to learn just kind of the ropes. And so that way you can bring it to the next level when you're making your own stuff. So I kind of want to transition into Malaysia because you mentioned it and (laughs) I think it's interesting to bring Mitch up and everyone else listening. (laughs) Yeah, we're completely lost. Please explain. I'll start with the ending, which is to bring you up to speed. I uh, (laughs) spent almost the last year in Malaysia filming a horror feature that I played the lead role in abroad. And it's going to be coming out both in Malaysia and in the United States, hopefully by the end of this year and maybe early next year. I'm not sure. It's still in post right now. But it turned into the biggest project I've ever had a role of that size on. And it started as me and Aviv going like, ah, let's make something, which I think kind of goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning about like, oh, you just, you never know. So basically, okay, it's a very long story, but here is how this whole thing got kicked off. So one of my best friends from college, he and his wife, their names are Jeff and Caroline. They're amazing. They live in Cambodia. They live just outside of Phnom Penh and they teach at this amazing school there. It's called Liger Academy and it is a nonprofit school that works with Cambodian youth and they're selected from the government schools in Cambodia and then they come to Liger and they live there. It's a boarding school. It's full English immersion and it's called Liger Leadership Academy. And the goal of the school is to give these kids the most amazing learning experience so that way they become the new leaders of Cambodia, which is basically the mission of the school. It's an unreal place. It's just such a cool school, the way that they do things and set things up. It's awesome. It's also relatively small, too. They only have, I think, about 100 students at any given time. So Jeff and Caroline, they've been over there for years working at this school. They initially signed a year contract to go over there and teach. They've been there ever since. I think they've been there for seven 
probably going on almost eight years now. Wow. It's their new home. They love it. She's become the principal of the school. It's just a really cool place. And they're just doing such cool work over there. But anyway, so they do come home for the summer. And a couple of summers ago, we were all in Boston at the same time. And so we were like hanging out, having beers. And they go, hey, do you guys want to come teach acting and filmmaking to our kids in Cambodia? And both of you and I were like, mm, yeah. Yeah, we do. That sounds great. <laughs> like, let's figure this out. So it took a little while to figure out when Aviv and I would be able to leave LA for an extended period of time to go to Cambodia. Mm. And so we were trying to figure that out. And part of that process became, well, when we're away. And I think there's this this fear always that a lot of people have. And I think maybe have even expressed on the podcast about if you leave LA, like, oh my God, something's going to happen. You're going to miss mm -hmm. that big audition. You're going to miss that opportunity because you weren't there. But I also think that there is so much importance in leaving LA and traveling. Like I love to travel. I think everyone should travel. I think especially as actors and storytellers, it's so important to just experience the world in any way you can. So like get out there and travel. I tell that to my students as well. Like go, <laughs> go take that week to go to Paris. It'll all yeah. be here when you get back. I think it was part of that. And also part of our teaching in Cambodia was going to be mostly it was like room and board situation. Like we weren't going to be paid on top of it. So we were trying to figure out, okay, well, like I, we both have student loans. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to pay our rent while we're away? And I think we were just like driving in the car and it's like, we should make something like we should shoot a short or something like that's such a cool location. And if he was like, we're going to be there for two months, we should shoot a feature. And we were like, okay. And so it just went from there. And that was how we started writing the script. And basically, the script started off with, okay, well, what do we have? And what can we use? And what can we build a story around? So we knew we had one white chick who was an actor, me. <laughs> like, um, and that's it. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, she is white. <laughs> I yeah. know. I'm like, oh. Uh, but um, so we like had that. We knew that we would have a classroom of kids. So we had that. And we knew that we would have basically the jungle. And so we built the story around those things. We got the script in a pretty good place and we were happy with it. And our initial plan was to try to get some kind of funds to feed us while we were away and also maybe bring a handful of crew members over from the States, like friends and past students and maybe like a DP and a sound person and like a couple other people. We were going to keep it really, really light. And we were like, we could do this. We could make it happen. It could be like a really cool like primer or coherence or like a couple of other great movies that I really love that were low budget but such high concept and like I mm -hmm. think uh, they're amazing stories check out primer and or coherence if you haven't so that was the initial plan and then basically if you had producer friends that were like looking at the script and started passing it around like one thing led to another basically what happened was we had met with a company that had offices in malaysia 
And at first they were like, eh, maybe not. And then we had met with an American or Aviv had met with an American company who was like, yeah, I'm on board. And then the American company and the company that had offices in Malaysia decided to work together. And they said, yeah, we'll make this movie just small change. Like, can you make it take place in Malaysia instead of Cambodia? And so we said, yeah. Basically, the reasoning for that was just because of infrastructure and availability of mm. gear and things like that. Like Malaysia has its own film and television industry. So there were, you know, sound stages and people that work in the industry full time and things like that. Whereas Cambodia is still a developing country and their film industry is still very much growing. So we were like, okay, cool. Sounds good. So basically, we, we jumped on board and we made the plan and so it changed from us shooting in the afternoon with our class of kids in Cambodia to make a movie to we taught in Cambodia and then we went to Malaysia and so we taught first and had some fun and like met these amazing kids and like people that will be lifelong friends and then we flew to Malaysia and started working on this feature then we did it from there. We were there for a while. It was an amazing learning experience. I now have an idea of what it's like to work in a different country and produce something in a different country and all of the work that goes into that. There's just so many levels of things and we don't really realize the iceberg of it all, right? So it's like so much is up at the top. You see the final film, you see the little tip of what was created, but you don't see everything underneath that's holding it up. And I think, yeah. you know, there was so much that went into this movie. Like, as I'm telling you the story, it's like we were working on this movie and writing it, getting it together, like figuring out where it was going to be, finding locations, finding people to work with, finding crew, all of that kind of stuff. And that was going on for months, if not over a year before actors really even came into the picture. And so like mm -hmm. that was really interesting, I think, to, to think about and also just kind of being present for the beginning stages, because I feel like, you know, also normally as actors, we're brought in on your day on set. Maybe if you have a rehearsal beforehand, maybe you're brought in for that. But like, it was just, you know, and a lot of this stuff was just because like, I was around and game to help out. So like, you know, saw things that were going on, went on location scouts, all camera tests, all that kind of stuff. It was a really like eye-opening experience. And there are so many things I learned that I will carry with me and try to pass on to other people that I know because it was a crazy experience. I, and it also something that like I never thought in a million years would come my way. I think this job can take you places you never thought, which I think can be scary, but it's also really beautiful at the same time. So one thing that we really like doing is we like asking some closing questions. So would love to ask you those questions. First question, what is the hardest thing about pursuing the arts? The million ways you hear no from when you decide that you want to do it to people being like, oh, you're really sure you want to do that. You're not going to make mm -hmm. any money. You're like, that's so hard. Are you sure you want to do that? And I feel like a lot of my friends that are from the East Coast or other places in general have kind of the same story of when you say like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to move to LA. People are like, are you sure? Are, yeah. How long are you going to give it? And it's like, what do you mean? How long am I going to give it? This is my life. I'm going to go out and do it. And I think 
like a side note, like if you put a timeline on something, it's just like, don't do that. Like, don't cut yourself short. Because who's mm. to say like, what would happen on day one after you decided your timeline was up? Because I think the yep. universe <laughs> kind of has its own timeline and doesn't always care what you have prepared. <laughs> Obviously, it's a, a lot of rejection on a day to day basis of auditioning, finding representation or asking someone if they like your pictures or like there's just so many things and or like having someone read your script it's just so much of it is subjective because so much of it is someone's opinion and it's also true as well that like you can be so so good and so so talented and still not right for the part which I think was something that took me a really long time to learn that was one thing that when I was working on this film in Malaysia I really like it really sunk in we had like one part we were trying to cast and we had an idea and we had a couple of people that we liked and we thought were good but then I was there one day and a girl just walked in and she just was that character. She had never done a film before but she was the character and it was like oh I see it now. Like, I totally understand now, you know, because it was like a character that I helped create in a way. And so it was like when that person walked in being that character, it was like, oh, clicks, you know, it, it didn't it wasn't that other people weren't good. It was just that her essence was what this character needed to be. I think once you you kind of reframe the nose as a not this one, it can really mm-hmm. change your outlook on the business. Leanne, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> uh, student <laughs> loan payments. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I would say that's, that's, you know, like most of the time if I'm freaking out about something, it usually like that's the core. <laughs> That is the core of that freak out. That's um, pretty relatable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's probably the, you know, the, the easy gut answer, you know, I'm in that like <laughs> millennial, all of my college was on loans group. So yeah, that's uh, very, very real. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm sure that there's, if I sat for a while, maybe I could think of something more like philosophical, but no, no. that's my gut reaction. Hey, gut reaction is what we go with here. That's the that's the most truthful one. So our last question to a person who might be interested in pursuing the arts while still working a nine to five or someone who hasn't pursued the arts at all. What advice would you give? I'd say just go for it. Take a class. I mean, it seems mm. simple. Like, oh, I go to a class to learn. Fine. But like, <laughs> it's such a great way to like, to find your footing in whatever creative thing that you're into, whether it's poetry or singing or what have you or acting. I think just like go take a class. If you're in a nine to five, jump into a nighttime something or other. Do like a once like a one day like intensive on a weekend or something I think just go for it even if you can't get into a class like YouTube is such a great resource for free like Mm -hmm. for me people that are like you know don't have the time or like just like go ahead and get on there I do a little bit of special effects makeup and a lot of what I learned is just from YouTube 
oh, how do I make like this really gruesome cut? Like blip, 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 YouTube. And there's like 29 options of how to do it. Great instructional videos. And I think that that's like a great, really simple place to start. Even if like jumping into a class gives you nerves, then, you know, start really, really small. Start like, you know, practicing monologues in your bedroom, start singing in the car or like whatever it is that makes you happy. I think just do it and don't feel like you have to start big. Just start and I think the rest Mm. will come. Hey guys, thanks for listening. You can find out more about our guest at Leanne O'Shea underscore official on Instagram. Her information and more details about the interview can also be found on our website, www.artisticpodcast.com. If you like the conversation, do us a favor and share it with a friend. It's the best way to help people find our podcast and will help support the show. For updates on new episodes and content, you can also follow us on The Artistic Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. Oh, big booty. Big booty, big booty, big booty. Tiny booty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's little booty. No, I like tiny booty. Corn dog.